Hello and welcome to episode 758 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, December 4th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm flying solo today. And I'm putting together an all-non-tender team. And so basically what I'm doing is looking at the, the group of, I believe, 56 non-tenders that came through on uh, Tuesday and putting together a little ball club here of guys that, that could be interesting. Obviously, they have to land somewhere, get get roles, and, and you know have things shake out that way. But we'll see where they're at. Uh, I want to highlight them now, though, because... We talk about something called Christmas creep, which is the idea of Christmas, the Christmas season being moved up and up and up and up to basically where the second that that last door is knocked on for trick-or-treating and, and the last uh, porch light is turned off, boom, it's Christmas. Like on November 1st, 1201, it's Christmas. Well, there's there's been a bit of a fantasy baseball creep. This one's a good one, though. Christmas creep can kind of take a, take a back seat and re-freaking-lax. Fantasy baseball creep, though, I dig this to where there's almost, you know, there's no real off season. We at, we at Rotographs, we don't go dark in October, but we definitely tone down. It's, it's much, much more chill. We keep the pod going, you know, once a week type of deal. Articles, two to four a day type deal. Nothing too crazy uh, as we enjoy the playoffs and decompress, but then we really turn it right back up in November and, and then of course, once uh, the holiday season, uh, the first part, the Thanksgiving, is done, then it amps up even another level. So this past week or so, we've we've jump up, jumped up another level. Winter meetings are going to start. So uh, to that point, the NFBC has also played a role there, wherein their draft champions leagues are going off. I think there's already been 16 completed. There's more going. And so the way this relates is that if you're in one of those leagues or planning to participate in them, you can maybe get an advantage. Those are 50-round draft and holds, so you have to have depth. And so a lot of these non-tender guys could be taken at discounted prices as you wait for them to land, and you could really cash in because if they land in spots where they're going to become starters um, or maybe they're not full-time starters but they find you know good position that has a little bit of shakiness in front of them and it's a good lineup and it's a good ballpark, their price will go up. So you could buy now and really take advantage of that. So we're going to go around the diamond in the traditional way, starting at catcher, doing some outfielders. The pitching's a bit lighter. I'll, I'll be clear on that right off the top. Uh, so the focus is going to be the hitting. And we'll start at catcher, and even this will be light too. So the first base throughout field area is where the bulk of it's going to come because catcher was was really light in. Once you hear who the choice is, you'll understand what I mean. Josh Fegley's the guy here. And I'm going to be looking at uh, last three years. I'll kind of cite their numbers <clears throat> and then dig into some of their their uh, individual numbers over those three years. But he has a 73 WRC plus over the last three years. That basically tells you all you need to know about Josh Fegley. He's, he's kind of a lefty killer. He's got a 122-point platoon advantage against them. I believe he had an 847 OPS against lefties in 2019. And so he could play himself into a secondary role where he is on the short side of the platoon. The best that that could really merit, though, is that Fegley could be a C2 in an AL or NL only league that runs 10 or maybe even 12 deep. I know some people play 12 team AL or NL only, which is whew, that's tough, especially with two catchers. If you're new to the solo cast, 
you know that uh, I'll let you know. I take drinks in the middle there. I don't edit it out. You know, we're keeping it natural, keeping it as is. Got to take a drink every once in a while. You'll hear maybe a little bit more of the mouse clicking and and web surfing as I'm pulling up everything compared to when I'm on with Justin, Jason, or and or a guest. <clears throat> so just keep that in mind. Hope it's not too cumbersome for y'all or bothersome, I should say. Cumbersome doesn't really fit there. I guess it can work, but I really meant to say bothersome. At any rate, let's move on from Catcher because it was like Kevin Plecki, John Ryan Murphy, Kevin Smith. This this tells you why Fegley was the choice. Let's move over to first base. And the guy that we have here is is become uh this has become second nature to him. He's been DFA'd yet again, and it's CJ Crone. He's basically kind of become like the um almost like the Mike Mike Moustakis on the lower level here. Meaning Mike Musakis for the last couple of years has really been under market and not really gotten what he de- what he's deserved in my opinion based on what he's done, and then finally inked a four year deal here with Cincinnati, and, and yet you know he just kept producing throughout and finally was rewarded. What does CJ Crone have to do to finally kind of get a real deal? Um, he moves on from LA from the Angels to the Rays, puts up a thirty homer season, something that folks thought he could get to when he was with the Angels and never quite got there. In fact, fell well well short with 16, three straight years, but injuries really undercut him and uh, limited him to a high of 445 plate appearances through that time. Well, then he pops 560 with the Rays and hits 30 homers. Boom, DFA'd. Not too surprising. That's kind of what the Rays do. Um, they seem to favor Corey Dickerson in his... Or no, 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 no. I have that wrong. They... DFA Dickerson got Crone, which I didn't like, even though Crone performed well. I, I like Corey Dickerson. Now they've DFA'd. Uh, now he's gone over to the Twins, who scooped him up. He put up another strong season. It would have been another 30 homer season if injury hadn't gotten him yet again. 499 plate appearances, 25 homers for Crone. DFA'd yet again. And this one's a little bit more shocking. For one, Twins. Definitely aren't as uh, aren't as frugal as the Rays. Two, I don't really see somebody that you know automatically slides in here and say, "Hey, you put this guy in, and and he he belongs there at first base, and he should play over Crone, or he's the next big thing coming." MLB trade rumors had him projected to earn seven point seven mil in his final season of ARB. Like, what? He's been putting up seasons uh, that are worth that easily. And, you know, dollars per war is not perfect, but we get a general idea. And I think it's about $8 million, uh, for one one win. Although, wow, I'm just looking at it now. I, this, this was a shock to me. I did not realize this. So in 2018, he had 2.2 war. It's good for about 18 mil based on the calculation that we have. This past season, though, Crone only was worth 0.3 war. He was the league average with the bat, 101 WRC plus, and I did mention I'll give the three-year um, as well. It's 109 for him. He's fourth on our list of offensive players here over the last three years, but it is heavily influenced by the 123 from 2018 for Crone. Other than that, he's basically been a league average bat, which I guess that isn't even worth eight mil. And if there is going to be a position that you can finagle and and, and kind of figure out. It is first base. You know, they've, they've been struggling to find playing time for like a Willens-Astadio. Uh, 
and he bounces around. Maybe he finds a little bit of time there. Marwin Gonzalez is a bounce-around guy, but he's not a great glove. Maybe he becomes the guy, and they've got him for a little bit uh, longer. I believe him. I believe they have him on a three-year deal. Um, and so, okay, this makes more sense than I originally thought there uh, with C.J. Crone. That said, he could land somewhere again, get an opportunity, and really be interesting it you know what really got me on the war and why i didn't immediately click on it and i should have of course because that's all we talked about with regards to the ball and and the offensive environment was the fact that i was looking and he only went from 816 to 780 on the ops and so i was thinking you know shave off five homers shave off a little bit of the playing time 61 plate appearances fewer 61 fewer i should say it's gonna be about the same war he was probably worth "Quote unquote worth about ten mil, but no, that uh, that seven eighty only plays into a one oh. What did I say earlier? One oh three WRC plus or one oh one? Excuse me. So that's why he wasn't worth seven mil to the Twins. Makes sense. But if a team can get him for like a one year six mil type of deal, I think that could be interesting. I think the issue at hand now for for him would be." Who needs a first baseman? Um, you can platoon a guy at, at that price, you know, at six mil. You can you can platoon somebody at six mil, even if it's uh, more of a short side type of deal. Let me see what he did platoon split wise this year for CJ Crone. Pulling that up here, go slower for me, internet. Yeah. Oh wow, he was heavy. He was even heavier than than Fegley. 1020 OPS against lefties, 685 against righties. So again, this adds up a lot more as to why he was non-tendered, but I still think he'll land somewhere. And I'm looking now, I'm just going to look at our depth charts, kind of cycle down to the bottom and see who's in need of some first baseman help and where he might be able to land. You know, I wonder if... Maybe the Royals would be interested in it with Ryan O'Hearn. They kind of work a duo there. Um, my Tigers. You know, CJ Crone is on. He's going to be thirty. He's not old. Um, I wouldn't be, you know, giddy about that or anything. But you've got Miggy playing DH now. Uh, let's see, Candelario at third, or is there somebody else I'm missing who would play third? No, yeah, yeah, Nico. Well, they have Nico Goodrum. Roster Resource has Nico Goodrum penciled in at first, in which case, no, you wouldn't want to put Crone there. But I feel like he's more of the second baseman. They got Harold Cash. God, the Tigers team. It is brutal. Frankly, just play your just play your uh, home run leader from 2019. Brandon Dixon, who had 15 home runs there. That'd be better than than getting Crone. So, no, I don't think it's the right fit for the Tigers. Um, I don't know. Maybe goes back to the Angels. Never mind. They, they've they got Pujols. Well, he's, he should be DH. Well, that, no, because you have to put him at first when you're playing off tiny. Anyway, I'm getting bogged down. I think he's going to find somewhere and be a 20-something home run hitter again. I do now realize, though, that he might not be as appealing as I originally thought because of his heavy platoon split and the fact that he might be inked somewhere to be a short side platoon guy. Um, that said, there weren't uh, the only other first baseman that could have been there 
uh, was Jesus Aguilar, and he's already been scooped up by the by the Marlins. Was he? D- Hang on, I'm looking at a non-tender list here. I might have said DFA earlier. Non-tender. Um, I'm looking at this right now, and he's not listed here. I wonder. Okay, so he was dead. Jesus Aguilar was designated for assignment, which is different. So I will I will be clear on that. I don't want to. I'm doing an all non tender team. I can't include somebody like Aguilar. Plus, like I said, he's already scooped up. So Crone's the pick. I think he could be a 20 home run hitter. You know, kind of with his eyes closed, as long as he gets, I don't know, 380 plate appearances. Um, especially if the ball stays the same. A landing spot will be tough, though. I think first base. There, there just aren't a lot of obvious landing spots for him. You know, maybe if if the Orioles can sell high on a Trey Mancini, they bring Crone in for definitely against lefties, but then also get him some work against righties so that they're not playing Chris Davis that often. Obviously, they're they're in a full scale rebuild. You should still get some playing time for Chris Davis. Um, you're paying him. I know sunk cost, et cetera, et cetera, but it's not like he'd be blocking off anybody at this point. So if they move Mancini or if they put Mancini in the outfield, although I think they kind of like a Santander Hayes, DJ Stewart setup to at least get three youngish guys. Actually, no, they're all, they're all young. They're all, they're all 27 and under. So yeah, that would work better there. Maybe the Orioles, but it's probably going to be one of those, one of those lower tier teams for CJ Crone, and then there's playing times gonna be tough. He's probably not somebody I'm investing in in the draft and hold scenarios, as I mentioned here, unless it's desperately late. Let me look up his current uh, his current ADP. By the way, I've spent too much time on him. He's 274 right now. This needs to come way down. I need to be later than 300 to invest in him because my outlook on him is definitely soured just in the time that I've researched this while while talking here on the pod. Um, I could have put somebody else in there that I'll talk about uh, at first base, or excuse me, at third base. And what I should have done was put Travis Shaw. That's what I'm saying. I should have put Travis Shaw there at first and then the other guy I have at third because I listed two third basemen. I should have gone Shaw and the other guy because I actually like Shaw's outlook a little bit more. Let me go to second base first. I'll I'll loop back to Shaw after that. Cesar Hernandez was a bit, it was surprising. And again, maybe I'm going to learn more here of like, oh no, in the end, it it, it really makes a lot of sense. Um, I know he's not great. But the reason that this one is shocking, even as I'm looking at the numbers and realizing he's on a three, you know, he's he's lowered his OPS plus, or excuse me, WRC plus each of the last two years, down to 92 this year, and he's at uh, 100 even for the last three years. Even understanding that, the fact that he's an on-base guy, he's going to be 30, switch hitter, I'm, I'm still I'm still surprised by this. And I, I didn't I didn't have him misread the way I did with Crone. I kind of knew what Cesar Hernandez is, though. Capable glove. There, there are positive attributes here, though. Still surprises me that they decided to move on from him in Philly. Um, and right now, a pickup of Josh Harrison that they had uh, signed him to a minor league deal. He's the one who's penciled into their second base spot on roster resource. And so... I'd rather have Cesar Hernandez. 
Fantasy wise, he is interesting because he's he's a speed guy, 19, 17, 15, 19, but then just nine stolen bases this year. And he played 161 games. So something happened where he just stopped running. And I'm going to go ahead and take a look as we're talking. I'm going to grab a drink. I want to check in on that sprint speed and see was he just being stopped on the bases a bit or did his speed take a hit? It did go down, but less than half a foot per second from 29.1 feet per second sprint speed to 28.7. You know, he's still 88th percentile. Uh, yeah, that's not, that shouldn't have stifled it. I, I'm curious as to why he didn't run as much. I mentioned his OBP. It was at 333 this year. His walk rate really tanked. 11, 11, 13, 7 percent he still was able to get on base at a 333 clip which isn't too bad but that's down from 356 373 371 the three years prior if this is a blip though somebody could wind up with a nice deal here i really do like cesar hernandez and i do think he's gonna wind up being an interesting pickup for a ball club it's funny you look at the depth charts uh by position that we have and it just it just goes with what we've got in that, you know, they're very loose uh, because it's so early in the offseason. But just eyeballing it, the Phillies are 29th at second base with a .3 expected war. And that's primarily from Harrison with a little bit of Scott Kingry mixed in because he's not, Kingry's not going to be the full time guy there. Now, maybe they have plans of like, we're going to do this here, here, and then get Kingry. At, put him at second base, and then all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense. But as it stands right now, it's interesting because they rank 29th. The 30th place team right now could be an interesting landing spot for Hernandez, and that's Cleveland. They don't have anything at second base right now of, of particular note. And with Jose Ramirez playing third, it's Mike Freeman and uh, Andrew Velasquez, Christian Arroyo, those are the guys that are kind of getting the uh, the the run there. Uh, Yu Cheng Yang, Yu Cheng Chang, excuse me, could be could be one of the guys. He's a prospect of theirs. I believe he's third base primarily, and has second base capability. He's listed on the depth chart here, so I'm not talking out of school as far as that goes. I don't know that he's played second base in the majors, but he's played third and short. You'd assume he could handle second. Um, maybe he's an option that they're that they're thinking could emerge for them. Maybe a little bit more seasoning in AAA. Although he spent time 127 games there in 1868 this past year, maybe they're like, "Yeah, he's gonna be 24. Let's give Chang an opportunity." Or they've got because they probably don't have big free agent plans. I mean, that's just not what this team, what this Cleveland team does. So I highly, highly, highly doubt that they're going in on anything big on the free agent market. Plus, what the heck is there? You could say Rendon, and obviously there's no chance the Indians are going for him. But other than that, who is even available at second base with Moose gone? Dozier, um, Kendrick as Jubal Cabrera, their own Jason Kipnis bringing it back. They're all older than Hernandez. Hernandez in Cleveland is an interesting fit. And if he gets his walk rate back, speed going again, I like that. Hernandez is somebody I would take a shot on in these um, in these early 
uh, not mocks, in these early actual drafts, draft and hold. He's got a 277 ADP right now. If that starts to decline because he's he's homeless right now, uh, or teamless, I should say, I'm in. But even at 277, I, I could see myself paying that for a middle and uh, understanding, hey, you know, I could I could situate uh, something where, you know, he doesn't have to be my main guy right now, but uh, once once the dust settles and he has a ball club, Hernandez could be my guy. Let's see if it's dropped at all recently. Ah, no, the only there's only been one that's finished because the the ADP doesn't go in until it's finished. So it's like if there's ten rounds of one that that's done, those ten rounds don't go in right now. They all have to be done. the The whole draft has to be done for it to be logged. There's seventeen drafts. He's two. Cesar Hernandez is two seventy seven. I'm okay taking him there, but right now there should be a discount attached, and I want that discount with Cesar Hernandez. Uh, I'll give a brief mention because I'm a sucker who can't quit Tim Beckham. I'll just point out, you know, he got he, he got he got chopped as well. Uh, I believe he had a PED suspension this year. He got off to a fast start. He wound up with a 101 WRC plus this year. Uh, he's at 99 the last three years. He's only played more than 96 games once, though. He's going to be 30. The only reason that I, I want to give him a brief mention, though, is because there's so many teams that have second base needs that are ostensibly contenders. I mentioned the Indians. Uh, I mentioned the Phillies. Nationals are at 27th on this list. Uh, let's see. The Red Sox are at 24th. The Rangers are trying to fancy themselves back into contention. Although they have Rugnet Odor and you would just play him. You would just play Odor over over Beckham. Like neither is particularly good, but stick with the guy you got. So never mind. Don't don't include them. Um, you've got the A's at 18th with uh, with Franklin Barreto and Sheldon Noisy pulling up the the bulk of the the time there with Jerks and Profar being traded though. So I don't know. It just you guys know that I have way too soft a spot for Tim Beckham for. No real good reason, if we're being honest. I mean, the best thing I can say about Beckham is that he averages 25 homers per 162 games the last three years. But he never freaking plays 162 games or anything close to it. So even that is whatever. But um, that's exactly that. It would be Billy Bean who gets him and actually, you know, gets something out of him. But nah, I'm actually more intrigued by Noisy. Uh, somebody I'll write about in the closer look for Oakland. But uh, moving on, Cesar Hernandez is the guy there. That's the one to be intrigued by. Third base. I mentioned I'll talk about Travis Shaw, but let me talk about Cesar Hernandez's teammate who got, got the X, Mike Calfranco. Speaking of somebody I can't quit, I believe he's the youngest guy on my list here. He's tied with another guy who's going to be 26 next year. He has an 83 WRC plus, though. It's the second lowest of this group ahead of only Fegley. That's 10 points clear of Fegley, but it's an 83. It's still pretty poor. 76, 105, 70. And the the interesting factors that, that I still like. Um, oh, wait. Pardon me. He was 26 this year. He'll be 27 next year. It probably goes the same for the other guy who is an outfielder, and I'll get to. Either way, that still keeps him the youngest, just not by as many years for Michael Franco. The interesting factors that keep me intrigued with him 
are the fact that he has pop. Um, he's never been lower than 170 ISO, and 170 is not great, but he's also spiked a couple 200s. I'm rounding up 2018's 196 to 200. Just give it to me, please. Give me a little something. But the fact that he makes his pop with a strong strikeout rate, he's a career 15% strikeout guy. That's good with a 181 ISO. Like, that's a good mix there. And his batting average should be better. So when he finally hit 270 in 2018, I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's something to build on. 22 homers, 270 average, 13% strikeout. That was his 2018 in just 131 games. Build on that. Or be worse and completely revert back to 2017. uh, or, Or be even worse than that with a career low 70 WRC plus 17 homers. Uh, still a 14% strikeout rate, but it was just bad for Franco. Franco, So you understand why he was non-tendered. It's time for them to move on. They could be. Uh, Philadelphia could absolutely be in the red down sweepstakes. So clearing third base, they have no problem with that. Uh, if if not, if for some reason things, you know, I don't want to say for some reason as if they're the front runner, but if they don't get Rendon or or Donaldson, because they're in on all the big dogs again. Philly's not going anywhere as far as trying to make big moves out there in the free agent market. So if they can't get Rendon or Donaldson, then Kingery becomes their third baseman. Easy peasy as far as they're concerned. So Franco will land somewhere, though. He's too young with with some pedigree of, of note not to wind up somewhere and potentially be very interesting. Just looking again at depth charts that we have, uh, the team ranking, lowest on the list is the team of the guy I, I'm going to mention here in a moment, Travis Shaw's former team, Milwaukee. Now, I believe, and I'll, I'll check my work here because I, I might not be dead on on this. Perception has me believing that uh, Michael Franco's glove is better than Travis Shaw's. But uh, let me check my work on that really quickly. Eh, I'm actually wrong. Well, so Shaw's defensive numbers are better, but he's also played first and second. So I don't know. Let me check his third base specifically. So 26 defensive runs saved. 1.9 UZR per 150. Let me check Franco at third base. He's got oh minus 32. Oh God, no, Shaw's way better. Okay, so then that wouldn't really make sense. It'd be better off to renegotiate with Shaw and just bring him back. So no, not Milwaukee. I was thinking, you know, go back to another good park, and maybe they've got some tweaks they could. They can help with Franco and get him going a little bit. Uh, the Pirates could happen, but I, I don't love that, particularly from a park standpoint. So you go across the state to Pittsburgh. The Phillies are then 28th listed. But this puts Alec Bohm as the primary third. The roster resource and depth charts that I'm looking at here, they don't align. Uh, we, we're working to get these aligned. First off, playing time is not settled at all anyway, so right now it doesn't matter that they don't align, but <clears throat> we need them to sync up more because Kingery, if he is their full-time third baseman, they're not the 28th uh, worst or best team in war at third base. Not at all. They'd be much better than that. So Then you have a lot of the non-contenders, but it would be smart for them to take a look 
the Orioles, the Tigers, the Royals, um, th those teams primarily. The Giants are next, but they're paying Longoria. They're, they're going to trot them out there. But th those three teams, the Royals, Tigers, and Orioles, I mean, I guess I'm no, wait, again, this is where they, the, the things don't align. That gets me in trouble because Heimer Candelario is going to be the Tigers primary third baseman. So they're not going to be 26th there either. Cause I think he, I think Candelario is at least, you know, a win and a half over a full season, but this has Noel Lugo penciled in as like the primary guy. And so that's why they're all the way down here at the bottom. So, um, but then you look at the Royals, what do they have at third base? Anything of note? Let me check up against roster resource. Franco's going to land somewhere though. Like he, he, he's not done. He's not getting, you know, kicked out of the majors at, at age 27, despite basically being league average for 2,500 plate appearances in his career, because there's going to be a team that sees the punch, sees the ability to make contact consistently and thinks, Hey, we can do something with this. At least give it a shot. Oh yeah, Hunter Dozier. Hello again. This is where not having these uh, the roster resource link up with our depth charts page gets me in a little bit of trouble here. And honestly, I didn't know I was going to use this. Oh wait, pardon me. This actually does have Dozier as the main guy. It's just that he's only projected for one and a half wins. Oh, I disagree with that. I, I kind of buy Dozier's breakout not kind of I, I i buy it so no i i think he's better than that but maybe the orioles then um and that's one good part to another you could dh some here and there for michael franco he's he's probably more destined for a, a weaker team if he goes to a better team he's not michael franco's not gonna have a full-time role at least not outright like he'll have to win it or injury will have to strike so if he goes somewhere like the angels although they, they're gonna see if kozar can come back healthy and, and get that job they're paying him so now nah, i wouldn't even consider that the diamondbacks tender jake lamb who i do like okay well here's an interesting one i do believe that this team hang on drink time I do believe that this team is going to re-sign one of their guys. But if it's Strasburg and not Rendon, there's a third base opening in Washington because Carter Keeble will probably play second. They could get Michael Franco, and I don't know. That, you know, I still have a tinge of hope. Let me just say that. He's dirt cheap. He's uh, 545th. In these draft and holds before this news, this is one of your deep picks, well into your reserves. Easy to take a gamble if you have any interest in Michael Franco. That's 36th round, 37th round of a 15 teamer. And you need depth. Bet on a 27 year old who has a modicum of skill. Let's go to Travis Shaw, then another third baseman, third baseman, first baseman type here who, as I mentioned, is a better defender than Franco. He has a 106 WRC plus over the last three years. That's second best of the group of guys that we're going to be talking about here. He was awesome for two years, 17 and 18, and then just cratered 
this year in 86 games. Like, just fell apart. That has to be the clear outlier, though, right? 120 WRC plus and 119 in 17 and 18, respectively, with 30 homers in each, 31 and 32. Um, solid strikeout rates, solid walk rates. One good average, one bad. Uh, 273 for one, 241 for the uh, bad. Bad 241 actually isn't terrible these days, but it, for fantasy, it's it's bad. So um, I'll say you know one solid batting average for fantasy, 273, and then one bad one at the 241. But then this year, just like I said, I mean completely, completely tanked. Travis Shaw was in the minors; he couldn't get right. Uh, there was health. I mean nothing went well for him this year he had a strained right wrist who knows if that was lingering throughout the rest of the year that happened in mid-may i i, I don't know I, i'm not gonna say that it did now his first noted injury is on april 12th it's a hand injury and then the strained right wrist in mid-may a month later hand wrist situation if that lingered all year I don't know. Now, one thing I will say, though, maybe uh, th- where I'm going to contradict myself on, on suggesting that it might have lingered all year and say maybe not or, or probably not is the fact that it didn't affect him in AAA at all. He had 42 games there, and he was an absolute monster. He put up a 10-23 uh, OPS, good for a 147 WRC+, plus, 12 homers, basically equal strikeouts to walks at 37 strikeouts, 36 walks. Like, he was freaking amazing. Comes back to the majors, still can't get it going in the right direction. And nothing really worked for him this year for Travis Shaw. He's going to be sought after, though. Because, like I mentioned earlier, the glove is pretty solid, especially in comparison to Franco. Franco? Franco? I keep switching on that. It's it's Michael Franco. I don't know why I keep saying Franco there. Uh, but when he returned from the minors after the uh, the... I think there were two stints. Yeah, so he goes down. Um, let me see how long he was on the IL for. So Shaw was on the IL till early June, so about two weeks' time. Comes back from that, finishes off June, and uh, was terrible, 623 OPS. Then he goes to the minors for a month, comes back on July 26th. From that point on, even worse, 485. The season was an unmitigated disaster. Could not build on that AAA success. Travis Shaw just it, just wash it away though. It's it's done. It's gone. It's trash. I just have a hard time believing this is who he is though, especially because of that impressive minor league run. So you got a guy who can play first, second, or third. So I can't even do really the depth chart thing of like. Which team might want him because uh, and focus on just one position? I think a lot of the teams we've already named, both among competitors and non-competitors alike, can uh, can and should be interested in Travis Shaw. He's going to be 30 years old, not super young, so it's not like the Tigers and the Orioles, the, the crummy teams like that, are like licking their chops to get him. But they should still be interested too. You got you got to fill the roster with some guys, right? And if you could give him a rebound and be more of the 2017-2018 Travis Shaw, then he becomes a trade asset. Meanwhile, the contenders, they could just use him and focus on the short term and be like, hey, 
Again, if we get him back to 1718, this is somebody who's helping us win this year. I go back to a team like the uh, like like the Cleveland Indians. If they don't want to put him at second, okay, fine. Move Jose Ramirez back there. Move him over to third. Um, the the Nats they also have flexibility. Like I said, if they get Rendon back, fine. Put uh, put him over at first base because they don't have a first baseman right now with with Zimmerman. Where, wait, where is Zimmerman? Is he just a free agent? Uh, they might work a deal back with, with uh, I almost said Jordan Zimmerman, with Ryan Zimmerman. Right now, Jake Knoll is penciling at first. So they've got Jake Knoll at first, Wilmer Defoe at second, and Carter Keeboom at third penciled in. Of those three, Keeboom is the only one I think should be on the opening day roster with a with a job. And even that isn't a lockdown guarantee. He wasn't he wasn't great this year, albeit in a nothing sample at the majors. I do not want to judge Keeboom off of that. They should absolutely give him a real look. This was 43 disjointed uh, plate appearances of who cares. Meanwhile, he put up a 123 WRC plus at AAA. So, but he can bounce around too and fill in whichever spot. <clears throat> so let's just say they re-sign Rendon, Keeboom at second, Travis Shaw at first. That's pretty interesting. You go Eaton, Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Kurt Suzuki, Victor Robles, Travis Shaw. or uh, um, Rendon would obviously be up near the top. I forgot. I forgot to put him in there. So Eaton, Turner, Soto, Rendon, Suzuki, Robles, Shaw, Keyboom. Who am I forgetting? Did I name everybody? I'm an idiot. You get the point. <laughs> I'm so dumb. Um... But I, I like Shaw here, and I like him probably better than anybody else I've mentioned here, even from a fantasy standpoint. Cesar Hernandez, if he gets that speed back, speed is so valuable. But Shaw is a lot cheaper, and there's 3,100 potential still. I, I do think it's still there. I'm really not ready to say that he's just on the downward slide now because of this disastrous year. If anything... It's such a clear outlier on the negative that, I mean, there's just no way you could reasonably project him to be that bad this year. In fact, Steamer has Shaw to get back to league average, a 98 WRC plus with 14 homers, but only in 76 games. So do the easy cop out of just uh, doubling that. They've got him for 28 homers and 86 ribbies in what would be a full season. So I like Shaw. He's... 433rd on the drafts right now. Again, that could go down even more because of the fact that uh, that he was non-tendered and so his his status is uncertain. Sign me up. I'm taking the gamble on Travis Shaw for a bounce back 100%. <clears throat> All right. Next up, I believe we were going to... Oh, wow. You know what? I didn't even list a shortstop. I'm looking at my handwritten list here. And I never put a shortstop in. And I just forgot to list shortstop. Not I don't even I didn't even put like SS colon to list one. I just didn't even put anything there. I think my brain just realized, you know what, that's a good idea because there's nobody there. Uh, the aforementioned Tim Beckham might might be a fegly like best of the bunch, which tells you all you need to know about said bunch. Maybe Yolmer Sanchez. Is Yolmer Sanchez a shortstop? Question mark. 
I don't know. I think this is almost worse than catcher, and the depth of shortstop is such that, like, who cares anyway? Uh, no, Yomer Sanchez has played 13 games at shortstop. But, yeah, I'm looking at the list now of the non-tenders. I don't even see uh, Jose Peraza. I've never been a Jose Peraza guy, y'all, so I'm not going to cape for him. And so I'm just going to leave the shortstop blank. Nobody. Eh, fine, I'll put... Fine, we'll make it Peraza. I just I pulled up his page and I just looked and I saw that he stole... 20-plus bases for three straight years before this past year's seven. I, I wouldn't be doing my due diligence if I didn't uh, at least make you all aware of, of that fact and uh, and and go ahead and, in the interest of the complete team, put him there. Let me see if I can... How do I not have a pen on my desk? If you guys saw how much freaking crap there was on my desk, I finally dug up a pen. All right, shortstop. Stupid Peraza. Of course, the pen doesn't work. Let me use a marker because I'm an adult and I have a marker for some reason. Short stuff. Okay, so yeah, as I mentioned, Jose Peraza, 20-plus stolen bases for three straight years. Before this, you're going 7 for 16, or excuse me, 7 for 13 on the bases. He did lose 0.8 feet per second off of his sprint speed, you know, which is a, a dip from the 89th percentile to the 75th. But, you know, he still has the speed to be a 20 stolen base guy. Like, that is, it, it would have to jump to like, or, or drop, I should say, to like, I don't know, 26 for me to be like, whoa, he doesn't have the talent anymore to be a, a, a base stealer of note. Peraza still has that talent. Um, I, I'm not saying this just as the benefit of hindsight. I just didn't really believe his 2018 when he hit 14 homers with 288 average and the 23 steals. The 23 steals were fine, but I still saw him as a rabbit that I, you know, empty steals that I wasn't interested in. That said, I understand steals play. He's going to be 26. He would be the youngest guy on this list now. You look at it, though, the last three years for Peraza, and you've got. 60 uh hang on let me let me pull this up on our page real quick for jose peraza his last three years are 61 wrc plus 96 and 62 which is the outlier in fairness though i will say 2016 was a 102 so it's 102 61 96 62 so he's all over the place uh, on this every other year type of deal of course if that were a trend that you could bet on with any you know viability which you cannot by the way then he'd be due for an average year this year don't do that um as i mentioned earlier though shortstop is so deep that i'd be looking at him as middle infield depth bench depth maybe some steals honestly i will say this i'm warming up to him in in this factor only for peraza he's only picked 449 could definitely go down he has triple eligibility at second short and outfield and in a draft and hold scenario if i'm putting him as like my 32nd pick i might need like a steals band-aid for two weeks a month at a time here and there just you know everything else is in order with my my hitting 
but I need some steals, I could maybe slot him in if he does find some time. So, okay, if there is a spot where you're going to take Peraza, these draft and holds, there, I gave you a shortstop. I've done my I've done my work there at shortstop. Let's go to the outfield now. Now we have three guys, and uh, let me talk about. Uh, let me see if there's anybody that I didn't include that would be worth even mentioning. Let's see here. Do, do, do. No, not he's on the list. He's on the list, and wow, a shockingly low number of outfielders included here, like. Joey Rickard, you know, it didn't include because, I mean, he's Joey Rickard. Um, other than that, like, I've included the three guys. In fact, one of the guys I included has really not done anything for, for quite some time. Like, um, so you'll, you'll, you might be a little bit shocked or be like, damn, I remember when he was good for a minute when I do bring him up. But the first guy tied for the youngest, uh, in the non-Peraza category with with Michael Franco. That's Domingo Santana. Now, he also has the best WRC plus over the last three years of our group at 114. And he clears the field by eight points. So he's easily been the best. 127, 98, and 107. Um, problem is, you got a bat there. The defense is horrific it is so bad that it really limits where he can go he needs to go be a dh he cannot play the field domingo santana has no business in the field so what you're really looking at is trying to find a team that's interested in using a set dh a lot of teams like to bounce around with the spot and use it to get guys off their feet you know, switch some guys in and out, maybe take their mediocre defender and not play him there as often and, and put a better glove in on, you know, three, four days a week type of deal. So finding a landing spot for him is going to be tough. Seattle themselves already has like a Dan Vogelbach there. That's why they don't have any use for Domingo Santana. That's why they went ahead and non-tendered him. So who the hell's really going to have you know, any interest in getting a DH only guy. It really cuts half the league until the NL wises up and gets the fucking DH because it's so stupid that they don't. I'm sorry, purists. It's not, it's not that special. It doesn't add extra strategy that is difficult. It's rote. It's easy. Stop. Get a DH. Anyway, what AL team could take him on? Um, like I said, you know, he's actually got a little bit of youth on his side. He's got a capable bat. But my Tigers already have Miggy. Um, the Orioles, they have Chris Davis. That You know, there they have him. They might as well give him a shot, I guess. Um, Jays have Teoscar Hernandez. You know who could be the fit? <clears throat> this could be the fit. Now, they currently have a, a catcher pencil in there who's not really a catcher. He's more of an interesting bat. But uh, with the signing of with the signing of Yasmani Grandal, Zach Collins is not going to be their catcher um, of the future. 
well, actually, James McCann was always was still going to be their catcher. Collins was going to be the backup. Now he's kind of the third string. He's a bat. He's a bat first. He's a bat only catcher, really. He does have a nice bat though. One forty WRC plus at Triple A last year. He's penciled in as their DH right now. If they don't want to do that, if maybe they trade McCann, because McCann as a backup is a nice backup, by the way, to have as, a, as your second catcher. They might be able to get more value out of him by dangling him to a team that doesn't have an everyday catcher. He still has a good arm. He's coming off an all-star season, even though it was Babbitt-fueled first half that really drove McCann's season. He's a bad framer, but but good arm. He could probably convince a team to give you a little something-something. That put Collins back into the C2 role, where he could still DH some, but maybe Domingo Santana winds up with the White Sox. And they might even be f- foolish enough to throw him in the outfield every once in a while. Although I think they're still going to sign a uh, one of the top outfielders available. Puig seems like a great fit for them. They seem to have a Cuban connection. I think he'd be an awesome fit for them. I think that's the right move. But Domingo Santana could be an interesting fit for the White Sox as their, maybe not primary DH, but as a um, slightly less than full-time, but still impactful dh let's call it 425 plate appearance type of guy his bat alone does make him fantasy relevant particularly in the league type that we're talking about here with the uh with the draft and holds now he was going to pick 260 on average ain't no way in hell i'm paying that right now um you know he does have a little bit of speed with the punch he has that 3015 season from back in 2017 only had five homers and one steal in in uh, 2018, that was with the 98 WRC+. Plus. That was kind of a lost season, 85 games. Bounced back this past year with 21-8 and eight, and did that in 507 plate appearances. So, if he, if he lands somewhere like the White Sox, I'd be interested, but still not even at this price. This price needs to come way down. It will definitely come down, but if it's, if it's inside the top 300, no. But once you get past 300, I could see myself stashing Domingo Santana and kind of waiting it out to see where he lands and uh, possibly getting myself a decent bat here. Who knew that this this non-tender would cause such an uproar? But holy hell, were Giants fans pissed that Kevin Pillar was non-tendered? He checks in. Again, this is I don't have Peraza. Let me just add Peraza. Just so I can give since he's since he's technically part of this list now. I am not including Beckham. This is a nine man list that uh, does not include Beckham, but does now include Peraza. Pilar lands sixth in WRC plus over the last three years at eighty seven. Here's the thing. He had a strong fantasy season. Twenty one homers, fourteen steals this year. And I think if you had like cursory knowledge of what he was doing with the Giants, you feel like he did pretty well. I know I did because when I saw his name come across the non-tender wire, I was like, oh, dang, they got rid of him. Wow, I thought he was pretty darn good for them because of the fantasy relevance. He also had 87 ribs and 82 runs. Like that's a damn good fantasy season. In fact, let me see where that checked out on the uh, on the player raider. Um but he had an 89 WRC plus with them, which is right in line with what Kevin Pillar has been doing forever. 80, uh, 89 last year, 86 and 17, 82 and 16. 
94, 92, the two years before that. He's just, you know, a, a cut below average for the bat. Quality defense, but that, that defense is waning, and he's going to be 31 next year. He's kind of moved closer to pedestrian defensively. He's, but here's the thing. He still makes highlight plays, and when you pair flashy highlight plays that are always going to be fan favorites with the power-speed combo that he had and the 80-plus runs and ribbies, the perception is that he, he's a damn fine player that needs to be part of this team. He was the 29th outfielder on the player Raider this year, Kevin Pillar was. But in actuality, he's not that good, and he's like, could they have, okay, here's the thing. Could they have paid him 10 mil and, you know, we don't bat an eye and say, you know, that's fine. Why why, why not? Sure. But as a team that's that's really in a full-scale rebuild, should they pay him 10 mil? No, probably not. I understand. Okay, here's, here's the thing. I understand you still have to fill the team, right? And um, it doesn't hurt. To have a 31-year-old who can play capable defense in a remarkably spacious outfield. And hell, maybe they bring him back. They just bring him back at like 214 or something and say, hey, we're not giving you we're not giving you 10 mil. We'll give you we'll give you seven per for two years instead. And then all the fans can quit their bitching, dude, because like stop dying on the Kevin Pilar Hill. But I think he was slated to make about 10 milli up from 5.8. Seven mil per year for two years would still give him a uh, a raise, and then I'd be fine with that. But as it stands right now, he's available, and he's fine. But relax. This was a damn good fantasy season, though. I will I will definitely give him his credit there. He probably benefited from the ball. He'd never hit more than sixteen homers before. He pops twenty one this year. Few extra from the ball makes sense even in San Francisco. His 14 steals definitely in line with what he does. It's 14, 14, 15, and 14 the last four years. The runs and ribbies were the impressive part because the Giants weren't very good, and yet here he is putting 80-plus on both ends. I, hats off to Pilar for that, especially with such a uh, pedestrian line. 259, 287, and 432. How the hell did he score 83 times with a 287? Who was driving him in? Let me see. Let me see. You can go. You know, if you don't know, listen. Our site's amazing. Sean Dolanair, brilliant engineer, does amazing stuff. And you can find out so much information on different things about players and you know um, what they did. However, I don't believe that we have something that 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 B Ref has. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I don't use both sites every damn day of my life. Of course, I love our site, but I use B-Ref for some things at times, too. One of the things I do like is that when you go to their game log, you can see some really interesting information about uh, who they drove in and who drove them in. So let's go look at Kevin Pillar and see what the hell happened here, how he scored 83 runs with a 287 OBP. So he drove himself in 21 times, of course. And then nine by Brandon Crawford. Okay, good on you. Probably all in Colorado. Six by Austin Slater. Five by Joe Panic and Mike Yastrzemski. Four by Duggar, Stephen Duggar and Al, uh, Alex Dickerson. And then three by Donovan Solano. So that's not all of them. I guess there's a bunch of 
more threes, twos, and ones, because that only counts for 57 of them, right? That's 10, 20, so that's 41, that's 50, yeah. Yeah, that only counts for 47, uh, 57 of them. But damn, I'm I'm surprised nobody drove them in more than ten times, more than nine times. Nine was the high. It's crazy. Uh, now, as far as he who he drove in, drove himself in twenty one times, of course. Evan Longoria twelve, Brandon Belt nine, Yastrzemski and Vote seven apiece, Brandon Crawford six, Sandoval and Posey four apiece. Okay, I will say, good on him. For beating the MLB average. The MLB average with 645 plate appearances was to drive in 78 runs. He drove in 88. Good on you. That said, I'm pulling those numbers back for a projection. Give me 15-15, 65-65. Which is still fine. It's whatever for Kevin Pillar. But obviously I need to see where he lands. I actually do believe that he's that he's likely to go back to San Francisco. Not because of the outrage, but maybe they already were planning this and knowing that there was going to be outrage that he was non-tendered and they're going to do like a 214 with him. One thing I will say though, his market could be a little bit more robust than you might expect because the center field market is dry, dude. It is not good. And so maybe some other teams see that Pilar's out there and maybe not necessarily to be there every single day center fielder, but to get a lot of time in center, maybe mix around in some left and right as well and just kind of be a, a not even fourth, but like a third and a half outfielder. So maybe his market perks up because right now by projected war, he's second behind only Brett Gardner. 1.7 for Gardner, 1.4 for Pilar. Then it drops down to half and 0.3 for Gerard Dyson and Cameron Maben, respectively. Uh, so Kevin Pillar could have a market, and maybe it jumps up. Maybe you know a team says, hey, we'll give you that 10 that the Giants didn't want to, and maybe it's worth it. Like, here's the thing. By the dollars per war thing, he is worth 10. I was just saying for a team like the Giants, automatically paying him the 10 because of arbitration didn't make as much sense is at least trying to negotiate with him. So the non-tender, I thought, made a lot of sense. Last point on him, because I've spent way too much time on him, 245 at the draft table because of what he did in, in 19. No freaking way I'm paying that. If that price doesn't tank, which I don't think it will, because people are going to see that 2114, and they're going to see the last three years being an average of 1714, and he's going to keep, he's going to go high. I mean, this this is pretty high. 245 is a pretty high price for Kevin Pillar. I'm not paying that. No chance. No chance. I know this is all all non-tender team of like, hey, these are supposed to get supposed to be guys I'm I'm kind of interested in. I didn't look up the prices of everybody beforehand. It's really more it's not so much that I'm buying all these guys. It's here's the all non-tender team of notables, and now we'll look up the price together and kind of talk about it. I want to be I should have been clear about that out front. Because even if I didn't include Pilar, there wouldn't have been anybody else to add on to it. So he was getting on this team no matter what. So that's Kevin Pilar. All right, our last guy is the third of the outfielders. And he's third on the list of, of WRC Plus over the last three years. However, he's second to last in playing time. And really last if you take off Fegley because Fegley's a backup catcher. So he's in his own different world here. 
Otherwise, Steven Souza Jr.'s 889 plate appearances are easily the lowest output of anybody on this list of the eight remaining guys, with 1349 for Domingo Santana being the next lowest. Souza is third at 110 with his WRC Plus, though, over the last three seasons. Staying healthy has been a problem. And 2019 was no different. Let me pull up uh, the last three seasons here. So I'm going to do how many IL stints has he had? He's had three IL stints, but including like 60 day or and uh, the strained pec surgery on his left knee. And we're talking about game totals for uh, for Steven Souza of 148.72 and zero. He didn't play in 19. So the left knee surgery ended the season. Wait, was that an ACL then? This this site I use for injuries doesn't uh, doesn't say it just says uh, knee surgery. It doesn't say uh, specifics of like oh torn ACL MCL type of deal. Let me see. That's what it seems like though, right? Yeah, he tore them all. ACL, LCL, PCL late in spring training. So there you go. So that's why his output is so low. And so the the big season of 2017 when Souza Jr. put up a 121 WRC plus that's carrying the freight on his bottom line because then he was terrible in 72 games in 2018 with just an 85 mark he did have 30 homers 16 steals in 2017 so this one's a health-based one for sure and uh by the way one of the things you notice i haven't been going to each trying to do the depth chart thing to figure out the fits for these primarily because with outfielder um, well, first off, Santana doesn't play the outfield. But with Polar, he could play any of the positions. And with Souza, with health, he can too. And so I'd have to look at it, – it's just it's a lot harder to look at that on the fly and be like, oh, this team has a need here because it, it's individualized of left, center, right, and it's just be a pain in the ass. So that's why I haven't been doing it the way I did it with the infielders. It's obviously going to come down to – his medicals. He missed all all year. He is back running at 100% though. And so going back to what I just said about the center field market, I think that this is another addition to that market. He's better in a corner. He only has eight games in center. And he's coming off of major knee in, uh, knee surgery. So I doubt a team wants to like make him their center field option. But if they say, hey, let's get this guy who we can bounce around to all three outfield spots and he could be a power speed combo, that adds some interest. He's going to be 31 this year. Steamer has him for 19 homers, 7 steals, and a 243 average. And that's only in 104 games. Let's just let's get rosy with it, okay? Let's just go steamer 600 for Sousa and see what they say. Hang on. I was going to do the math, but there is a steamer 600 button, so I figure I might as well just click on that and see where Sousa is. Right? Control F, Sousa. There he is. So steamer 600 has 26 homers 
and oh, only 10 stolen bases. I guess that makes sense. Um, coming off of what he did in 18, where he didn't really do much of anything and, and didn't run. And again, major knee surgery where everything was ripped up. Maybe be a little bit more conservative on the stolen base totals. Um, but if he's running well and, and looking sharp in spring, you could maybe add to that, especially if he goes to a team that does run more. The power's there, though. So I'm kind of intrigued by, by Souza. I really want to see where he lands. I haven't looked it up yet. I'm about to right now. I bet he's a complete afterthought in these drafting holds. 461, like totally off the radar, definitely getting him super late. Again, 16 is was his career high in stolen bases. He has 41 for his career and 1,809 uh, plate appearances. So that's not, I wouldn't call him a speed asset, but chipping in the speed with the power for Souza makes him an even more interesting bench gamble in something like this draft and hold here so i'm kind of intrigued by him and i think that that could be uh that could be an interesting scoop for a team and he could find himself in some playing time and it's one of those guys that you're like if i told you that steven Souza jr became comeback player of the year uh, or was like a heavy candidate for it i don't know if you'd be that surprised right I mean, I, I won it. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, we finally freaking stayed healthy, and boom, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden this came together. So, what I'm doing here is I'm listing all the guys. I'm not going to go, I'm got, eh, tongue tied there. I'm not going to include Fegley. I'm just going to go with the other eight, and then I'm going to rank them in my interest level and give you that interest level on the fantasy landscape here without knowing where they are let's just you know highlight who we like and uh and go from there and finish this up oh i was supposed to do pitching wasn't i and eh, this has already gone an hour the pitching is not interesting there's only one guy i care about well there's two bike trying we all know about he's gonna land somewhere Every team's checking in on him. He was all-worldly two years ago in 2018. Completely fell apart this past year. Really only has the one great year on his ledger, though. So the non-tender from a team as stingy as the A's for somebody who is going to be 32 next year coming off of a disastrous season with only one great season on his ledger is not that surprising. But anyway... He, he might even close somewhere um, or at least be an instrumental role in a bullpen. And then Taiwan Walker, who I love. And uh, God, I want my Tigers to go for him. Every team should be checking in, but the rebuilding teams for sure. He's 27 years old. I know he's basically missed two seasons. He has 14 innings the last two years. Don't care. He's shown enough in the three previous years before that. And at age 27, this is a worthy gamble got to go for him the other names i had listed aaron sanchez is out for most of the year jimmy nelson health kevin gosman ryan bookter alex claudio yimmy garcia claudio and bookter are going to be like lefties and it's gonna be interesting to see what they can do because um the loogie role doesn't really exist anymore you have to pitch to at least three batters yimmy garcia needs to figure out how to keep the ball in the yard nelson needs to find some health 
and then Gosman, eh, probably better off as a reliever anyway. So Walker and China are the only ones I care about. Ranking the the, the hitters though, I think here's how I like them. And um, and this is this is including the the cost here. So even though somebody like uh, like Pilar has has the interesting numbers, he's going to be lower because his cost is disgustingly high, and I'm not I'm not paying that. So keep that in mind too. And we've covered the costs here today. Um, and, and that's being factored in. So Travis Shaw is my number one. Definitely buying in on him. Cesar Hernandez is number two. Actually, you want me to... Uh, I almost asked y'all a question as if you could answer. Holy crap. I need to wrap this up. If you can't tell, uh, as my voice is... Uh, as my voice is, is getting scratchier, I guess. I'm doing this late. And so I'm... I'm I'm doing, or, or I, since it is on the fourth, I'm doing this early on the fourth, as it were, basically um, early morning on the fourth, and so I'm losing my mind as I almost asked people a question on a freaking podcast. So keeping the cost in mind here, I want to stress that because it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself by putting one of these guys a little bit higher than than couple of the others even though i said i didn't want to include this guy in the first place so shaw's number one he was picked 434 on average right now in the draft and holds cesar hernandez is number two he's at 277 which is a little high but i do like him i think he's going to land somewhere nice i still think that cleveland fit would really work out i'm going to put steven souza jr third right now because he's 461 on the cost and he's so much cheaper than the other two outfielders. That's the driving force here. Yes, he's very risky about the you know with the knee and everything, but he's 200 picks cheaper than the other two guys. Michael Franco, the cheapest of the bunch at 545, still has the high contact and the pop, putting him fourth. Domingo Santana, love the pop, throws in a little bit of speed, but he's DH only. The market's limited, so the playing time I think will be as well, and he's pick 260 right now too high of a price in fact i almost put peraza higher than him but the fact that santana does run a bit made me put him five and peraza six that's the guy i'm talking about where i didn't even want to include him here but when you consider that he's triple eligible 448 on his pick average and does run and that's all he does but at that price in a draft and hold as like just a little stolen base band-aid i'll pay for that CJ Crone at 274. It's just not hard to replicate what he does. In fact, let me look at first base right now. And let's see some of the guys going after CJ Crone. Hell, Joey Votto's 286 for crying out loud. Garrett Cooper, 322. Howie Kendrick, 343. Miggy, 382. Vogelbach, 412. Like, come on. Thames, if he goes. Uh, somewhere and, and could maybe be like strong side of a platoon at 423. I'm just not paying for Crone at that price. He he's if you're talking just pure production only, like who's going to give me the most uh, fantasy production? Crone would be 
maybe third on this list because he's he's going to land somewhere and, and play a decent bit. But at his price and what he does and where it can be easily replicated as a first baseman, nah, he's seventh. And then Kevin Pillar's last because he's picked 245. In fact, no, I'm going to flip that. I'm going to go Pillar seven, Crone eight. Because at least with Pilar, he does have power speed. And as I mentioned late in, in my discussion about him, that, that center field market is so barren that he could actually get some buyers. I just don't like the price because he's not hitting 21 homers again. I just I just don't see it. So that's why I'm putting him seven, though. I will, I will, I will put him seven. And I'm close with him and Peraza, but Peraza's 200 picks cheaper. And their main reason to get them is the same, which is the speed. And Peraza's is a bit more potentially transcendent because he can be 25 plus, whereas Pilar is probably more in that 15 range, but does throw in 15 plus homers and more playing time. And so those two are close. But anyway, Shaw, Travis Shaw, Cesar Hernandez, Steven Souza, Mike Calfranco, Domingo Santana, Jose Peraza, Kevin Pilar. CJ Crone. Who thought that you could get a hundred, uh, not a hundred, an hour in ten minutes on non-tenders? Now you now you know that you can. Hopefully you enjoyed this. I was going to write it up. I thought talking about it would be more fun, and I think I'm right because uh, I didn't really want to write about it. I've been writing about other stuff. So um, all right, now I'm rambling. I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to be doing an episode with Nick tomorrow, Thursday the fifth. And then I'm going to see if Justin is available at all uh, for possibly a Friday episode or maybe later today. Um, as I, I'm going to be posting this probably in the mid to late morning, I'll talk to him. And if he wants to do one, um, then maybe maybe you get a two for today, another one on Thursday, and that's how you get your three. Or he and I could record one that we release on Friday. Um, the only problem is you got to be careful with pre-recording in the winter because things can become stale because of moves. Anyway, you've got this one today for sure. You got another one tomorrow uh, with Nick for sure. And the third one is TBD as far as this week goes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>